this podcast has had many comedians guest on it. In fact, my usual co-host for this thing, Nick Flanagan, is a working comedian himself. I love hanging around comedians, not just for the quick wit that I'm witness to and the hilarity that ensues, because, let's face it, comedians are nuts, but also the camaraderie and kinship I feel we share due to similar occupations. Sure, I play music, but there's more engagement to our shows similar to that of a stand-up in a nightclub, baiting and playing with an audience than most bands I see on the scene. So from that, I draw the parallels and have had many discussions with various comedians about performance, on and off the podcast mics. In recent years, comedians have come out and aligned themselves with popular music, whether it's David Cross, Patton Oswalt, or Todd Berry with indie rock, Jason Rouse, Brian Posehn, or Jim Brewer with heavy metal, or John Worcester and Fred Armisen, who actually played in bands, Superchunk and Trenchmouth, respectively. In the world of showbiz, comedy and music are undeniable bedfellows. Don Jameson is a comedian who exemplifies this concept. Besides doing stand-up and being a comedy writer, Don has been co-host of That Metal Show on VH1 for 14 seasons with co-conspirator and comedian Jim Florentine and radio personality Eddie Trunk. Going deep into the topic of metal is what the show is all about, and Don's love for the music keeps the topics deep and the interviews with various musicians lively and jovial. And if that wasn't enough for anyone's plate, Don has the distinction of being the first comedian signed to Metal Blade Records, now with two albums already under his belt, 2011's Live and Hilarious and 2014's Hellbent for Laughter. Along with Jim Florentine, who has also put out two records on Metal Blade, they belong to a revered group of comedians who are seamlessly able to volley back and forth from the comedy world into the sometimes close-knit circles of heavy metal, accepted and respected in both. Basically, having their cake and eating it, too. And why shouldn't they? Both are hilarious. Both are well-versed in their hard rock and heavy metal, each coming to the table in a two-pronged attack. I met Don Jameson in 2005, 10 years ago, through Jim Florentine, when we'd hit the East Coast states during our first official U.S. release for our album, We Sweat Blood. He was the voice that accompanied Jim on his terrorizing telemarketer CDs, and between the two of them, kept our crew in stitches in the dressing room on those often hard tours we did back then. Our conversations always revolved around heavy music and comedy and the reverence we held for both realms. When I watch that metal show nowadays, I am struck by the fact that this is genuinely the kind of talk these guys engage in when the cameras aren't rolling. The difference between Don and a lot of other comedians is he seems to relish putting himself in front of audiences that might not be ready for him. It's a hack-and-slash approach to performance, and only top-level comedians can handle, maintain, and ultimately win over an audience in these situations. Don wins all the time. And that is where I saw him last, opening up for Dizzy Reed's Hookers and Blow. 
Dizzy's hard rock cover band. It's not a new thing to have a comedian perform before the musical act. It's almost traditional, but not necessarily in the hard rock world. Knowing Don from That Metal Show made it easier for Dizzy's crowd to connect the dots, and Don was in fine form that night. It's always a pleasure to watch him crack up a room. We tried to record a podcast before the show, but the fates wouldn't allow it, so this one's on Skype. I'd like to thank Blue Mic Microphones for the Yeti Mics, Skull Candy Headphones for the Aviator Headphones. Thanks to you for tuning in and listening. Thanks to those who have left a rating and or review on iTunes. Thank you very much. If you haven't done so yet, please do so. It just helps the podcast, makes the podcast look good, yada, yada, yada. My good buddy, Don Jameson, is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. They play the Guinness Danko School of Telo for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Jimmy in from Fucked Up. Stop playing Hang Down. Danko loves Mexican food. When we go out, he'll always turn to me and say, It's taco time, Jerry. <laughs> we order everything on the menu. Burritos, empanadas, carne asada flautas, enchiladas with mole sauce, chalupas, menudo, agua de horchata, moronga, torta de milanesa, queso flameado, torta de huevo, torta de jamón, and a tall glass of water. It's delicious, and the company isn't too bad either. <laughs> they told him he was too crazy to rock and roll. But now... He's going to talk their ears off. It's the official Danko Jones podcast. Danko's got a podcast, and he won't shut up. Danko Jones has a podcast. It's called the Danko Jones podcast. La da 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 Hey, Danko, what's going on, man? Don. It's great to talk to you again. I guess you guys say Toronto up there, right? We do, yeah. The cool way to say it, so that's what all the kids are saying. So, yeah, it was cool to be in Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was good to see you uh, perform live. I don't think I've ever seen you perform live before. Yeah, and that was, uh, you know, that was a bit of an anomaly because, you know, I was out on a basically a rock club tour opening for a band which is, you know, for me is a lot of fun because, you know, the rock crowd is my are my people. So yeah. that was fun. But it's definitely a, a completely different animal um, than just a regular comedy club because the following week I was in Ohio and I did, uh, you know, like six shows at this comedy club. And I, I remember the first show, I like I had to catch myself after like the first two minutes and slow myself down like my pace and take it way back. Because I was still playing for a rock club, you know, and these poor people or nice people in a comedy club are sitting there relaxed. And here I come out like a wild animal screaming. <laughs> and I had to remind myself, oh, wait, these people are actually here to see comedy, you know, as opposed to the rock crowd who you kind of have to come out and hit over the head right away. Yeah. So do you find like, you know, people going, all right, let's let's get to the music. What what the fuck is this? I didn't come here for jokes. <laughs> Sometimes they say that in the, in the comedy clubs, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what it is, man. It's it's. I think it's a cool thing if I was in the crowd, and you know, I had just watched three or four local bands, 
you know, and I'm waiting for the headliner to come on. And like, instead of another band, there's a comic and yeah. he's up there and he's talking about rock and roll stuff. I'd be into that, man. I think that's cool. Like, I, I think that's cool with any show, even if it is just bands, you know, having a good mix of stuff gives some people something a little different each time. Uh, definitely makes the bill more exciting. You know, certainly your band I've seen on so many different bills and, you know, everything from you guys, Saxon and Motorhead, you know, to you headlining your own shows with bands opening for you that aren't quite your style. But that's, you know, that's what makes the world go around, man. You know, different strokes for different folks. I just think, you know, the more variety you can give people, the more fun they're going to have. But um, like I said, those, you know, the, the rock crowd's my people. It's just like doing bar gigs when I was coming up as a comedian. You know, you didn't do comedy clubs. You know, you, you would perform in bars where you'd come out and scream at people. So, you know, it's it's just sort of like a return to that. Do you feel like when you because you were out with Hookers and Blow, Dizzy Reed's band, do you find when you're opening for Dizzy and Hookers and Blow, do you find yourself feeling more of a comedian? And then when you're in the comedy clubs, after you've done like a whole bunch of shows in front of rock fans, do you feel more of a rocker? Like, do you ever feel when you make that transition back to whatever it is, a, a rock show or a comedy club, do you feel more like the other camp for a little while? Nah, because you know what, man, you, you, you've known me, you know, bef before that metal show, you know, we've been friends for probably the last 10 years. 10 so, years. Easy. Yeah, I've always been a rocker, you know, at heart, you know, even as a comedian. You know, I've been doing comedy 18 years, so it's a long time before, you know, um, that metal show, you know, took off. Um, so, no, I've always, you know, I've always had both of those inside of me. I just wear it a little more proudly on my sleeve in both venues, you know, because, you know, music is such a big part of my life. So how do I not talk about it on stage? I mean, it seems disingenuous as a comedian to not talk about something that's such a big part of my life. You know, you can't just leave that out. An interesting thing that I noticed is when, when uh, I came to see you, I saw you before your set in Toronto and, and you gave me the set list. You, you even have a set list, much like a, a band does, you know, just like kind of loose notes as to where you're going, just to plan out your route, especially just like you were saying, cause you got to go in there, fucking hit them over the head and get the fuck out. Um, so it's almost like this stealth kind of way of performing. <laughs> um, but I did notice that because you, you put a lot of metal and hard rock references into your set, there were some band, like jokes about some bands that were deeper, like a deeper cut. Like, for example, there was an Amon Amarth joke that you had. And then you told me after you had to, you had to take that one out, I think, for time constraints. But you said hey, that was going to be for you. Like, do, do you find yourself kind of sticking with like the top shelf metal bands in, in, in terms of the jokes? You know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah. do you... Do you find you can go deeper with other crowds? Like if you're performing in front of like a like a heavy metal crowd, do you go like tell a Dark Throne joke or an Emperor <laughs> joke or some shit? Yeah, you know what? It's you know, it really depends on how the audience is responding. You know, if if they're really buying into everything, then you can get as deep as you want. I mean, I was doing a Monomarth jokes all weekend at the comedy club because the crowds are just so much fun. And I set it up that they're, you know, a Viking heavy metal band. So immediately there's 
that conjures up an image in people's mind. You know, maybe one person every night in the crowd even had heard of Amon Amarth, but that's not the point. You know, the point is they're sort of buying into everything I'm doing. They laughed at the Def Leppard joke. They laughed at the Kiss joke. They laughed at the ACDC joke. So, you know, I'm just taking it now to another level of, hey, and you know what? There's something called Viking metal now, and that gets a laugh from a regular comedy crowd. So yeah. it just really depends on what people are into. You know when you're you're doing your set, and you're like, you know what? They're not, you know, they're not going to go for this long song right here. I'm going to switch it out. You know, right. I'm, I'm going to put sticky situation here instead, you know, just right. beat them over the head. So right. it's, it's the same thing as music. You know, you have a set list, but it's only a guide. You know, I, I always hope I don't go by the set list at all. You know, that's that's always the worst case scenario for me. You know, I'd rather just I'd rather it take go off in different directions and, and wherever it ends up, that's where it goes. The difference I see with you and other comedians is that you're very prolific with putting out comedy records. You've put well, out two I, I got, so far. I got my de- yeah, I got my deal with Metal Blade because um, because I went out on the road with one of their bands and opened the shows. You know, I went out with Charred Walls of the Damned on Metal Blade, and we did a two week run like I just did with uh, Dizzy Reed and those guys. And you know, Brian Slagle, who you've had on your podcast, came down and to a couple of the shows. He came to the show in New York and Pittsburgh, and he's like, look, man, he goes, you know, I don't know many comedians, you know, who'd want to go on after, like, three death metal bands, <laughs> and, you know, and before a thrash band and do comedy. And he goes, I don't even know if you have enough for a full album, but from the 20 minutes I saw, I'd love to give you a record deal. And I was like, that's what I've been waiting for. You know, I wanted that. Again, I, I've always been those two sides of the coin. I've always been hard rock, metal, and comedy. And that was the perfect situation where I was like, you know, holy shit. So are you serious? I mean, you, I'm going to be on Metal Blade? That was like, I'm going to be on the same label as Slayer and King Diamond and Cannibal Corpse? Are you kidding me? You know, that's a, you know, that's a huge compliment, man. That means, you know, my comedy album has to be as heavy as anything they have on, on, on their label. And, you know, also I figured, look, if they have all those bands on, you know, and they're not going to try to censor or, you know, water down what I'm doing comedically because, you know... You know, if you got Cannibal Corpse and Six Feet Under, you know, on your roster, you're not really worried about offending people. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. And and um, the, the the but the most impressive thing is because I've spoken to comedians many times about this, even on the podcast, I bring it up whenever there's a comedian, I go, "Why haven't you put an album out?" And they're still working on it, and it's a, it's really kind of like the first album of a band. You 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 have your whole career to to work on it. And then you got to follow it up fairly quickly. But even in a band situation, you've got four or five people. Everybody's contributing. A comedian is a is a party of one. You followed up live and hilarious your debut on Metal Blade um, as quickly as a band would follow up with a with a with their next album with Hell Bent for Laughter, which I was very impressed with. Um, how was the process once Live and Hilarious was out? How, how what was the process from releasing that first album to releasing the second album in terms of um, coming up with material? Uh, well, you know, like a band, stress, you know, <laughs> trying to get new material, work it out. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you know how it is too, man. By the time 
your first album comes out, you've already been playing the songs on the second album for a year. So that was sort of the same situation with me. I had already had a lot of material that I was doing in the clubs that would make it onto the next album. I just, you know, my first right. album, like you said, I had 14 years to get that out. So I already had plenty of stuff for that. I didn't need to put any of the newer things on there. So that's what I did. I sort of had a little stockpile on the side right. and then just added to that, you know, slowly but surely. Um, you know, and I obviously, you know, even though I only had a couple of years to get the next album, you know, honed and out, I, I still think it's a better album. But, you know, when you look back at, anyone's discography it's just like some people no matter what you do people some people are going to prefer the earlier stuff or some people are going to prefer the later stuff you know as long as you could stay consistent it's like you know i still think you know born a lion is one of your best albums and that's an early one but i also Thanks. think fire fire music's one of your best one and that's and that's your newest album so you know it's all about you know trying to you know, try to stand the test of time a little, try to, you know, I try to put stuff on that's relevant, but, you know, I'm also a nightclub comic, so I like to tell dirty jokes and yep. talk about sex and stuff like that, but I like to talk about social issues and things that are current at the time I'm doing the album so that they have a time and a place. And, you know, but most of all, man, just that it's funny, man. That That's the main thing. I didn't put anything on the albums that audiences hadn't been laughing at for years, you know? So it's, you know, anything that didn't get a good laugh, cut it out. You know, right. you, you know, bands don't have that luxury. You guys go, we really love these songs. And then people hear them and go, we don't like the middle four. And you're like, well, we had no way to test it. You know, I didn't have a way to test it. You know, I edit my albums down to the only the jokes that got laughs. Right. You know, the stuff that bombs. See you later. The, the the great the the crazy thing about comedians that I I didn't realize until I took a look into the, your world is like when you first start out as a comedian everybody tells you okay just get a good solid five minutes and that really showed me that wow it is really hard to even get a little bit of a set let alone a full album's worth for a comedian whereas. Five minutes to a band for a band is like one song. You know, you right. can you can fill up an album fairly quickly with material because every song is three to five minutes. Whereas everybody just tells a new comedian like get five minutes. Whereas a new band just get like half an hour. <laughs> you know, right. so you can open. It's it's really an interesting world. And so knowing that, I'm like, oh, okay. That's why it takes longer for comedians to put out albums. But you put out Hellbent for Laughter, like just like a like an like a like a band, and I, I really like that. I really love that. And oh, thanks, man. Yeah, just like you said, like you know, it's it's um, you you like this kind of album better than this one, whatever. But I think the important thing is that's lost on comedians, or maybe because there's just so much competition out there. Everybody wants to their only strike to be the best thing in the world. But I just love how you just work it and you just put it out and put it out and put it out there. I I, I love that more comedians aren't doing that. You know, I mean, I wish more comedians. Uh, would do what you're doing with your with your records and to be on metal blade like you said i mean you have aligned yourself with such a great tradition and it's great association it's, it's yeah well, yeah and you, but you you know once you've been doing this for a while and again I, you know i always liken it to a band too because i think that way as well but you know you guys sort of have a 
all your albums, Danko, are different, but there is sort of a formula to being Danko Jones. So once you kind of know where your niche is, that's that's then it makes it a lot easier to write, and that's mm -hmm. how I am. It's like I kind of know what I'm about. I'm I'm like the ACDC of comedy. Right. I'm good. At, I'm good. I play three chords really well, and I just stick to them. I just vary them up a little. You know, I just change the time signature a little bit. So. You know, if you like my first album, you like my second album. If you like my second album, you're going to like my third. And when I'm not doing stand -up, live stand-up CDs, you know, I'm working with Jim Florentine and we're doing terrorizing telemarketer CDs or we're doing <laughs> Meet the Creeps hidden camera videos or I'm doing my TV show. So, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I grew up blue-collar, man. That's what you said, you know, that's the best compliment I could get is that I just I go to work, man. That's all I do. I just I go to work. I get my lunch pail. Uh, but, you know, but instead of, you know, climbing telephone poles like my dad, I climb the stage every night. That's what I do. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. The same approach that we have with with making records and just doing what we do is just keep putting it out there. I love I, it's just sometimes it's such a pretentious thing for like when you hear somebody go, no, I'm still working on it. And like 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 do you, you know, there's only one appetite for destruction that comes for every generation you know mm -hmm. you know it's it's uh, commendable that you think you have the talent to have your your one chance to be that good but you know there can be only one axel rose you know axel can take right. yeah. 15 years to put out a record but just start putting <laughs> it out there man yeah. I, I i really agree with that way of 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 comedy and it's really impressive because when i see everybody else kind of like walking on eggshells and second guessing themselves you're over there in the corner just like fucking firing them out and i love it <laughs> well it's it's not so much confidence in my talent as much as um you know much like you danko i live by the words of the great lemmy kilmister and uh, whenever i sort of need a piece of inspiration. Um, I could always look to a Motorhead song or album or title or verse and find something. And the one for me that's kept me in comedy so long or just this godforsaken business that we're in for so long was um, when they once asked Lemmy, you know, what do you owe your longevity to? He said, well, if you don't quit, they can't get rid of you. Yeah. responsible directly responsible for giving me one of the greatest nights of my life <laughs> you are i mean it is, i mean now people could take that several different ways but um <laughs> but it's, it's their imagination yeah it's when um andrew dice clay came to town i think shuley from the stern show was was emceeing it yeah. then you came out there and you got you had them man it was and saying that about a comedian is like one thing, but do, this is a dice crowd. Yeah. It's a, it's a harder crowd. People may not realize that who are listening. And so I was kind of like, I, I felt like, you know, like I, I was, I was so rooting for you, so nervous for you because I knew that this <laughs> crowd is like, they're just these rabid monsters who will eat you alive yeah, they're they're animals, and you know there's 1,500 of them. So, 
Yeah, it's a it's a crazy gig with him because that's another one where you you know if you don't get to the mic before someone yells out you fucking suck you're dead you're fucking dead yeah <laughs> there's no way there's no way to come back from it so you know Dice always gets a kick when we play you know big theaters and you know the the stage is gigantic it's like it's like I'm doing it's like I'm running a, a a kickoff back for a touchdown. I'm I'm racing across the stage that fast to get to the microphone. So uh, yeah, that and that was a that was a thrill because to me also Massey Hall is such a legendary place. So um, to have you there to play in that place, obviously to you know open for my comedy idol, it really was an amazing night. Yeah, and then when you finished your set, you came up to see us where me and JC were sitting, and then Dice came on, and we watched his set with you sitting beside us. But I've been, you know, opening for him for eight or nine years now. He's become one of my closest friends, which is crazy. You know, it's uh, he's he's the reason, comedically, I started, you know, getting up there on stage and telling jokes. So just the fact that if I had only got to open for him once... That mm-hmm. was incredible, you know. And then, you know, I know you were such a big fan, and I was happy to to bring you backstage. And I'm glad it was a great experience for you. Well, I, I had I brought my bag, which I don't really do when I go to go out to a show or a club. I had my bag with me because I had uh, "Day the Laughter Died" uh, on vinyl for him to sign, and and you brought me backstage, and um, there was. There was, I don't know, a good half an hour maybe where it was just you, Dice, me, and his son, Max. Yeah. And it was just the four of us. And Dice had already done his show. Everybody had left the venue. And here I am in his dressing room. And he starts talking and telling this story. And I really got the feeling he was doing more material in front of us. (laughs) and he talked for about 15 minutes about stuff and uh it was the greatest thing ever because it was just as funny as the material he had done on stage like half an hour ago it was yeah he's you know for him like he and obviously he still enjoys performing but for him it's the show off the stage is is even more fun you know it's the goofing around it's trying to you know break break each other up you know make each other laugh and stuff like that you know him him knowing about you through me and knowing that you were a friend you know he wants to put on a little bit of a show for you and knowing that you're a fan you know he he definitely loves that you know he appreciated that you were a fan so yeah he definitely you know he's in performance mode off stage too you know uh, i mean he could be normal as well but yeah. you know when there's people around and he's in a good mood and he's comfortable with the people that he's around he's gonna he's gonna put on now another show you know um you know he's kind of like axel in that way you know uh, you know right. people could be put off a little bit by axel or, or they could feel he's standoffish but if he's comfortable with you he, he'll hold court with you the whole night and literally the whole night, literally morning or the yeah. next afternoon, even so yeah, it literally overnight. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Nocto- he's totally nocturnal. But but yeah, he wants to be comfortable about, uh, you know, the people that he was around. So uh, that means the world to me that you had such a good time that night, man. Well, I just remember because before the, I think I met you in the hotel across from the venue and I said, hey, man, is it cool if I get my re- I brought my record? I hope that's not. Too, too forward. And then 
And then I think you and I walked back to the hotel after together, and I just said bye to you. And then you, I remember you said, um, hey, you didn't get your album signed. And I go, don't worry. Hey, that was just the greatest thing ever. That's <laughs> way more than an autograph on a record, man. <laughs> it's amazing the geek out factor, you know, amongst, you know, different people in, in our business. You know, it's like, you know, Eddie and I went to see um, the Celebration Day premiere of the Zeppelin movie in New York. And we went to the after party. And we were at the after party, and there was a certain, you know, group of people that were sort of geeking out that, that Eddie and I were there. You know, you could hear, oh, the guys from that metal show. Oh, cool. Right. And then we're, like, geeking out, you know, that Kirk Hammett is standing five feet away. Right. And then we start talking to Kirk, and he's geeking out that Jimmy Page is five feet away from him. <laughs> so it's like this it's like this chain of geekdom going on and no and everyone's oblivious to the other one you know who's geeking out on who because everyone's focused on who they're geeking out about so it's i i love all that stuff man it, like i said i i love mixing all those worlds man it just it you know all comedians want to be rock stars all rock stars want to be comics um it's at so the end true of the day, yeah we're very similar in a lot of ways so yeah that, that was cool that you we got to share that with you and for me, I find I have only full respect. I don't sometimes I don't have full respect for some bands, man. But for comedians, I have full respect for what you guys do, because I think it's just the hardest thing ever in entertainment of all the jobs to do to be expected to make any group of random people laugh is is a talent that I think is so overlooked by everybody because comedy has been is just so expected in our society. Yeah. So yeah, I, th I, you know, look, we, a lot of comics find their niche, you know, and if they're smart, they stick with it. But it doesn't mean you can't appeal to a broad audience, you know. Like a lot of people know me now as sort of the, the rock comic, you know, and that's cool. And I, you know, I love seeing, you know, people with you know long greasy hair and Slayer shirts at my stand-up shows. But just as but I also got to entertain the guy in khakis and the blue button up. So, right. you know, I, I, I still have to be able to appeal to a lot of people. And, you know, I think that's, you know, the, the more weapons you have, always the better. So, yeah, if you come see my show, like I said, you know, I, I stick to the same three chords, but I'm I'm going to pretty much. I'm going to pretty much give something for everybody. Like nobody's going to go home without a, at least a few chuckles. You know, I could, I could definitely guarantee that. Cause you know, basically it's, you know, I tell a lot of jokes in 45 minutes or an hour, you know? Yeah. So if yeah. you don't like, if you don't like this one, guess what? There's another one coming in 35 seconds. Yeah. It was like a machine gun that yeah. night at, at the club. <laughs> we can't not mention when, when we talk, when I talk to you or we talk or we talk about you is, is Jim Florentine. He almost comes hand in hand with you guys. When we, I first met Jim before I met you and I met him in Philadelphia and we hung out and uh, he actually introduced me to Jim Norton. So when F Jim walked into the WYSP radio station, he started talking. I was like, fuck, why do I know this guy's voice? <laughs> you know? And then he introduced 
he he introduced us to you, and then we noticed that you guys would always show up to our shows in New York or uh, in the surrounding area together, and you guys were the two voices on those crank calls, yeah. and uh, it's crazy. How long have you guys known each other? Well, we know each other 20 years now. You know, Jim was a few years ahead with the comedy before me, and um, yeah, we just, you know, we're sort of, you know, uh, long lost brothers in a lot of ways, you know, we just have the same sensibility about stuff. And, you know, we realized early on with, with things like terrorizing telemarketers, which is our series of CDs for people who don't know where we, you know, we wait for telemarketers to call and we basically just torture them because, you know, they're the scum of the earth. So, um, you know, we did that and, and meet the creeps, which is our hidden camera DVD series, which we have three volumes, which is and it's hilarious. Just, it's very, you know, edgy stuff. And we realized early on, like, there's no voice of reason in our partnership. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no guy to go, right. yeah, you know what, maybe that's a little over the line, maybe we shouldn't do that. You know, because if one of us comes up with an idea that's outrageous, the other guy will go, wait, we could even take it another level higher. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those Meet the Creeps videos are totally hilarious. Like some of the stunts you guys pulled, I, I'm like, how do they get away with not getting beaten up? And we mention you guys in all our stuff too. Oh our my god! In the DVDs, we always put. Yeah, I'm Danko. Hi, I'm Danko Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys ever gotten in trouble doing those, like staging those things, like filming it? Because these are real situations. Um, you know what, man? We yeah, we did get in trouble one time with the cops where um, we did this hidden camera thing where we rolled our friend Chuck up in a carpet. And we went to a construction site where we knew they had a big dumpster, and we tried to dump the carpet into the dumpster. <laughs> so the, the construction guy, like, sees us and, 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 like, chases us out of there. And then the carpet starts wiggling, and he hears, like, somebody inside of it. So he, like, cuts it open, and our friend Chuck comes out, and he's like... Oh my God! Thank you so much. I was, you know, I was in a bar last night, and these—I don't know—I was drinking with these guys. And next thing you know, I like wake up, and here I am, rolled up in a carpet. And the idea was we were going to come back around the block, chase him around the construction site, grab him, and kidnap him again, and put him in the car and take off. Right. Well, when we came back around the corner, we didn't know somebody across the street who lived across the street saw us with the carpet. You know, and the guy coming out of it, and he called the real cops. So we pulled around the corner. There was like eight cop cars waiting for us. <laughs> <laughs> and we get out of the car and, you know, naturally trying to explain that it was all a joke to like this, you know, crusty, like 60-year-old cop. Oh. Went nowhere. But meanwhile, this younger this younger cop kind of kind of knew who we were, and he kind of got it. And he so they played good cop, bad cop for us for a while. So... He goes, listen, he goes, just get in your car and and go. I'll take care of, you know, the chief. He goes, he goes, I'll vouch for you guys, but you got to do me one favor. And we're like, what? He goes, he goes, you have any of your prank call CDs or anything with you? And we're like, yeah, they're in the car. He goes, all right, I'm going to take care of him. Meet me at the 7-Eleven on Route 35 in like 20 minutes and give me some of those CDs and I'll let you guys go. So oh, that's what wow. happened. We took off and we met the guy and he was cool. Oh my God, that's amazing. But his his boss was like, he goes, I don't know what happened here, but everyone's going, everyone's going to jail right now. So we thank God, you oh know, there was God. thank God we had a young cool cop that was there. Holy shit. That's <laughs> hilarious. 
That's it. And so now, I mean, are you got? Do you have time to do any more Meet the Creeps uh, with all your VH1 that metal show? Well, we're gonna do another. We're gonna start this week doing another Terrorizing Telemarketer CD, Volume Six. So yeah. Oh wow, that's amazing. Because there's nothing like being middle-aged men making prank calls for a living. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty <laughs> hilarious. That's amazing. I mean, do you find like the VH1 that metal show does it does it hinder any of like all the comedy ideas you guys come up with? Like, all right, we can't do that. No, because never. now we're you know kind of really well known and. Nope, never. We're just as brutal as we ever were, <laughs> and we always will be. And and how is it taping that show? Like you guys are about well the end of next month, which is February, depending on when you're listening to this. Yeah. Uh, you do, you guys are doing another season, which is your tenth season or fourteen. Holy cow! See that's yeah. the problem. We don't get it in Canada, so I have I to know. get it from like people like Scotty Slam and stuff. I'll tell you, there's two places that the three of us are just it crushes us that we're not. On, and that's Canada and in in, uh, in England. But, um, you know, that's the way it is for now, unfortunately. But, yeah, when we do the show, man, it's just, um, again, it's sort of like being in a band, dude. You know, there's definitely, you know, a lot of drama that surrounds doing it. But when we're actually there on the set, it's the coolest shit ever, man. That's, you know, that's where we just fucking thrive that's where we're, we're the happiest. Yeah. You know, we're sitting with people that we admire and respect, even if there's guests that I don't know that much about or whatever. I, you know, I like to learn about them. So, you know, the, you know, just like with a band, when you're on stage, that's the best moment. You know, that's that's where all the hard work comes together is on stage. Right. So that's where we have the most fun is actually filming the shows. You could just smell it off you guys that every all three of you guys are having the biggest fucking blast you can it, smell the new jersey on us definitely yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's you know just what? so and then as an as someone watching you kind of get caught up in that kind of fandom yeah well you know what's funny man that which applies to to your band before you actually came on with us on our metal modem you were the you were the one band that everybody thought was on the show because we had talked about you so much and worn the shirts and did your CDs as picks of the week. And people would, you know, come up to me. And I think you told me this too. They would go, Oh, Danko, I was so cool. I saw you on that metal show. And that was before you had actually been on, you know, and it's like, no, I, I've never been on, you know, yeah, it yeah. just seems like it because we, we talked about you guys so much. It's like when people came up to Johnny Cash and said, Hey, you know, you did, you did time in prison with my father and Johnny Cash would be like, I've never been in prison in my life. Yeah. You know, it was the same thing. So it was so cool to finally, you know, have you on so that we could dispel that myth. Oh, yeah, that was a oh man. That was such a big deal for me. I was so excited to be, to be on it. And and you guys, I don't know if it was strategic on your part, but you guys put put me on the same episode as Sebastian who grew up in Willowdale, Ontario, where I grew up in, which is yep. just a little, little section of Toronto. It's in, it's out in the suburbs. And didn't you have uh, Jason McMaster from Broken Teeth, Dangerous Toys? Didn't he propose to his girlfriend? His yeah, then girlfriend. Yeah, we had a couple proposals on the show, and yeah, we had a celebrity one with Jason McMaster uh, proposing to his girlfriend, and uh, luckily she, she said yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because that would have been that would have been a shitty show. Like, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm yeah, sure okay, you and Jim would have had a stump the trunk. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, sorry, Jason, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure you and Jim would have had a field day. Well, no, you know, you that's certain things you can't, you know, you can't goof on your boys about. You know, right, that's, right. that's definitely one of them. But uh, no, he's got a great wife, and uh, you know, he still does, uh, you know, broken teeth, and he he's always in like five different bands, and that guy can still belt it out too. Oh, man. He's, but, he's amazing. I think Jason was the one who told Jim about us too. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's exactly where it came from. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, one more thing about that metal show. There is this you were saying about how you were at the um, uh, you and Eddie were at that party where everybody was vibing on the other person like Kirk on Jimmy and all this stuff. And and uh, a great moment was had because I'm a huge Glenn Danzig fan when you had um, uh, Bill Ward on. And, you know, Glenn just kind of he dropped his his, his uh, stance and he was just like man i'm a big fucking fan <laughs> yeah he couldn't be was. cool in front of bill ward like he just turned into a uber fan in front of him i thought that was a really cool moment that you guys were managed to capture on the show yeah that again you know it's it's all the it's all the geek out moments that make it great you know here's here's glenn danzig you know this sort of you know macho posturing guy all the time and he's sitting next to bill ward and he's he's humbled he's he's little glenny after that so um you know i i thought that was great man it was cool to just see him being a a geek in, in front of one of his idols because certainly the three of us are sitting in front of you know two groundbreaking you know artists so it's uh you know, it's funny to see people, it, you know, when we do the combinations of people, a lot of times it's just based on their availability. But sometimes you have these happy accidents that happen where you'll get, you know, Corey Taylor with the guys from Night Ranger. And you're like, what? This is a weird combination. But then Corey's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm on with Night Ranger. They're so cool. You know, here's the singer from Slipknot. And he's, you know, he's freaking out about being on with, you know, Brad Gillis and Jack Blades and, you know, yeah. having Vinnie Paul on with the guys from Styx. He's like, oh, man, you don't even know. I love Styx. You know, it's oh, like, wow, amazing. this is so cool. I love those kind of com the oddball combinations always make for great shows. Yeah, that, that that's amazing. I, um, I, I haven't seen that that episode. That, that, that would be good. Do you find the way you guys film the show, do you guys do like you know, in one day you'd shoot like more than one episode. Is that how it works? When we tape the show in LA, we would like bulk tape it. So we do two a day for like five days in a row. And we, you know, basically do a whole season. Um, in New York, we tape on a Tuesday and we, that show airs Saturday. So that's what happened with last season. That's how we're going to tape this season. And that's really the best way. Cause then you get a fresh show. So anything right. that's current in the news of metal or hard rock, yeah. you know, by the time you know we we tape on Tuesday, it's still going to be fresh on Saturday. So I, I pref much prefer it that way. Yeah, because I was going to say like taping multiple shows on a day with all these rock stars coming through, all your heroes coming through. By the end of the day, man, are you just fucking spent from just an emotional charge? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a you're it's a, you're a little burnt from it, but it's you know obviously it's a good burnt. We're not yeah. you know we're not digging ditches. No, no. But I mean, just your mind is like blown every day that you're just like, man, I'm fucking tired getting my head blown I just, off. Yeah, I just talked to Joe Perry, Brian Johnson, you know, and Jason Newstead today. Uh, I, mind blown. <laughs> 
Yeah, and then you got to do it all tomorrow, and wow, yeah. it's just, that's crazy. <laughs> tomorrow I got Ted, you know, tomorrow I got Ted Nugent, Sammy Hagar, and you know Herman Rarebell. Fuck. Here we go. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that's so cool. I I, I uh, I'm so glad a show like that exists because it's such a great concept, and you guys kind of hit it out of the park every season or all the seasons I've seen, eight Thanks, or nine. Man. But I'm behind, obviously. And congrats on, uh, congrats on, well, obviously all your success, but, um, you know, you were nice enough to send me a, a sneak preview of the new album and it's just fantastic, man. Thanks, man. Yeah. It's really, it's really nice to, to know that you guys mention us from time to time and, and that you guys brought me on. It's, 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 it's been great. I mean, we've known each other for so many years before all this VH1 stuff happened. We just bonded on hard rock and comedy Mm -hmm. and that was that was that was all that was needed and it was it's been fun to watch you and jim um get famous (laughs) it's been (laughs) it's been so thrilling and such a it's been cool I mean, I'm so happy for you guys oh thanks I mean we're basic cable famous but that's (laughs) if it's still I mean it's it's really cool that you know, you guys like, and you know, I know, I know two guys on Metal Blade. Yeah, it's not like when I go to Olive Garden, they bring me extra breadsticks because I'm on that metal show. It's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> every once in a while, like a cop will yell out the window, "That metal show, bro." Oh, that's nice, though. I, I love it, of course. Yeah, it, it's definitely great, man. But um, yeah, look, in our worlds, you know, we're uh, we're lucky. We we've been able to make a little bit of a name for ourselves. So that's. Uh, you know, especially since it's, you know, this is the only music I've ever loved. And, um, uh, you know, so it's it's where I belong. <laughs> Any Aussie fans? Ozzy Osbourne? Yeah. Ozzy had a little trouble recently. He, um, he started drinking again. He fell off the wagon. So his wife, Sharon, said, uh, I'm not coming back to you until you quit drinking. So Ozzy did what any other guy married 25 years would do. Yeah, he stepped up his drinking and started celebrating. <laughs> Sharon's like, Ozzy's in a dark place right now. I'm like, Ozzy's in a dark place? He's the singer of Black Sabbath. <laughs> the guy who snorted hands, pissed on the Alamo, and bit the head off a dove. He's not in fucking Fallout, boy. He's Ozzy. <laughs> I heard Ozzy was in a dark place. I thought he moved to Camden. I don't know. 